Welcome to Truth and Charity. Today we don't have Bishop Rhodes with us. He is out of town, and so joining us in his stead is some members of the diocesan office. We have now Deacon Fred Everett and his wife Lisa. Thank you for being here. Great to be with Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. Looking forward to chatting with you. Before we get too far into this, uh, we usually start with the Angelus. Would you mind joining me in praying that? Of course. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and, and she, she conceived, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and and dwelt dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray pray for for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ, your Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This episode of Truth and Charity, recorded while Bishop Rhodes was out of the country, features the Everett's, who talk with Kyle about their work supporting the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend through the Secretariat of Evangelization and Discipleship, as well as Marriage and Family Life Ministry. Go to RedeemerRadio.com for previous episodes or to submit a question for a future show. Welcome to Truth and Charity. I am Kyle Hyman, and instead of having Bishop Rhodes with us, since he's out of town, we've had the joy of having the Everett's join us, Deacon Fred Everett and Lisa Everett. And let's start with your role in the diocese, maybe, and you can explain the the secretariats. And I, I think sometimes people get confused by that because secretariat isn't something that we have in a lot of business world kind of things. Exactly. So maybe you can explain that a little bit. Sure, sure. Well, Lisa and I were worked together in marriage and family ministry and pro-life ministry for 29 years. And last year, the bishop uh, met with me and asked if I would be willing to work with him in reorganizing a secretariat that would be focused on evangelization, but that would really also expand and include helping people grow in discipleship. So we came up with a new name of evangelization and discipleship. And underneath that umbrella is basically all the ministries that directly minister to adults in the diocese. Okay. And so from young adult ministry to teachings on Catholic social doctrine, marriage and family ministry, adult faith formation, Hispanic ministry, outreach to black and uh, Indian Catholics, whatever it might be, even ecumenical relations, that all now falls underneath this new secretariat. And so the reason it's called a secretariat is really really simple. It's, uh, my title is Secretary for Evangelization and Discipleship. And so all the people that work with me as a team are basically then part of that secretariat. And so to do this kind of shift, if you will, did you look at 
other diocesan offices and how they structure things or was more just like what are the needs of our community? It was part. It was mainly what are the needs of our community, and also how you know things have uh, developed over time. So, mm-hmm. for example, Carl Lesh is the secretary for Catholic Education, and that covers basically all things relating to minors and the adults who minister to them, such as youth ministry, Catholic schools, and the Office of Catechesis. That's their focus is on is on young people and helping them grow in the faith, whereas ours is taking them once they got to eighteen mm-hmm. on up and helping them to grow in the faith yeah. and, and and part of it is just um, one of the things last year there was a, a convocation for Catholic leaders from a, across the country that the U.S. bishop sponsored down in uh, Orlando and one of the issues that came up at that time was trying to break out of the silo mentality where you have lots of different offices sort of doing their own things and instead try to build this new this newer idea of, of really working together as a team and being able to then really have a conversation about what's really working, are we really making headway? So we had this great conference, but what did it do to sort of take us to the next level in helping people to grow in their faith? And and what's our strategy for this? Mm. All these questions really didn't have a, a, a way of being addressed in the diocese at that time because so many times it was people just having their own offices and focused on that. And now we can have these conversations not only amongst ourselves as a team of about 10 people, but also with the bishop and, mm. and having having that back and forth and then trying to to come up with a strategy with identifiable goals and objectives. So is that something that's in progress? Is there like a deadline or a goal for when we're going to come up with these strategies? Yeah, the strategies uh, right now we're, we've got a few different things uh, on the docket as far as some things that we want to share as a secretariat. Uh-huh. And then of course you have different ministries within that secretariat that have their own specific goals, such as Lisa now is directing a marriage and family ministry as part of this new secretariat. So she's going to have her own individual goals. And then after that, there's going to be even differences depending on whether you're on the Fort Wayne side or on the South Bend side okay. of the diocese. Well, speaking of marriage and family, would you mind give us a little background on your marriage and family? And <laughs> At least I'll let you take the, the lead on that one. We have been married for almost 32 years. Congratulations. And thank you. Um, it's been a wonderful adventure. And we've been blessed with seven children. And so far, seven grandchildren. Um, and in fact, we just found out on the drive down today that our newest grandchild is a little girl. Oh, uh, great. In utero. Um, uh-huh. So we're anxiously awaiting her arrival uh, around Thanksgiving. So anyway, um, so it's been a great joy to, to kind of shepherd our own family all these years. And again, as Fred mentioned, working for almost three decades together then in the diocese, yeah. marriage, family, and pro-life ministry. So now um, God is calling us, obviously, to a bigger, in some ways, a bigger role, a different, we're not working in some ways as closely together, directing one small area uh-huh. of the diocese, but Fred as head of this new secretariat and, and myself as directing you know, a smaller team within that. So it's been an adjustment, but a good one. Yeah. Um, and kind of corresponding to to his new role as a deacon in a sense like a bigger flock and uh, so it's kind of a, these growing orbits of, of um, people to minister to which has been a great blessing for our, I think for our marriage and also for our family and hopefully for the diocese so so have you always been involved in ministry and working in ministry pretty, pretty much, much from yeah. the beginning yes <laughs> so. we both studied at Notre Dame as undergrads uh-huh. uh, 
and uh, we got to know each other. We were both in the same major called Program of Liberal Studies, which is a great books program. Oh, okay. But lots of theology, philosophy, literature, and uh, lots of seminars to discuss these things. And so we got to know each other really over these, you know, deeper philosophical, theological discussions in class. Yeah. And uh, then the next thing you know, uh, I went on to law school, actually, and then Lisa went to study in Rome for a year at the St. John Paul II, well, not St. back then, John Paul II <laughs> sure. Institute and, uh, and, for, marriage and uh, for marriage and family yeah. life, exactly. And then when she came back is when we got married in, in 86, and Bishop Darcy was very new at the diocese back then. He had heard about her, and, and, and she, he ended up hiring her as a, as a research assistant and to work in uh, marriage and family ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, oh, good, I have this, you know, at least as a job for my last two years of law school, and then we'll go off. And I'm originally from Miami, Florida. She's from Philadelphia area. I thought we'd go back to our home states and, and, and start working there. And uh-huh. next thing you know, Bishop Darcy said, well, what about if you help me for a few years just to get some things going? Yeah. And I said, well, I guess we could do that for a few years. <laughs> just to get things going. That's right. 30 plus years later, here we are. But, you know, I wouldn't have had it any other way. And God's plans are always better than our plans. So we're proof of that, I hope. At what point did it become at least a potential that God's plans were to become a deacon? Yeah. So that happened uh, about five years ago. And it happened in a funny way. It, It actually started with our youngest child, our daughter, Maria who out of the blue one day said to me, uh, <laughs> if you knew Maria, you'd, you'd say this is really out of the blue. Uh, she said, you know, Dad, you make a good deacon. Huh. And I just, oh, uh, thank you, sweetheart. That's very nice of you to say that. And uh, I didn't think of it again other than just a nice thing for her to say. Uh-huh. And a couple days later, a priest I knew at a meeting leans over to me and said, Fred, you make a good deacon. And that's huh. when all of a sudden I started thinking, hold on, is God trying to tell me something here? And so we started discerning, praying about it, and we ended up realizing that you know, it looked like I did. And so when I talked to Bishop Rhodes about it, he was very excited and basically said, you know, come aboard, you know, you're, mm. you're accepted to the program. So just no looking back after that point. It was, uh, it became clear as time went on that that's really what God was calling me to. Yeah. And how, I mean, it's only been since June. So I imagine, are you starting to get the hang of things or like, is there still have kind of a learning curve to it that you you only have a few parts at mass, you know, yeah, but as right. far as preparing homilies and things like that? Yeah, no. So my first weekend, I'm assigned at St. Matthew Cathedral in South Bend. And so my uh, first weekend there, the father asked if I could introduce myself to the congregation and, and basically preach at all at all the masses. So they're basically full throttle from the, from the beginning. I think I only made a couple of little minor mistakes, so luckily nothing uh, too obvious, but uh, but yeah, it's been good. It's just there's a lot of little details, yeah. things to, to give on top of, but it's it's been fun. And his first, I will have to say as his wife, is his, his first homily at our former parish, Corpus uh-huh. Christi, um, the day after his ordination, he just really hit it out of the park. Yeah, it was an awesome homily, and all of our all of our kids and grandkids were there, and extended family, and it was just a really beautiful moment. Yeah, and it turned out this is one especially meaningful thing for me. We Fred um, is half Cuban, uh-huh. which most people don't think realize looking at him. No, but um, if you saw the hat, it, yeah, that the looks hat, like a legit the hat. hat is a giveaway, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so his first language was actually Spanish. So in our wedding liturgy, we huh. wanted to incorporate one hymn in Spanish, and we chose that 
song Pescador de Hombres, which probably most people in the diocese are familiar with. It's some liturgy or another they've heard. And that was our offertory hymn in our wedding liturgy. Well, wouldn't you know it, it turned out to be the offertory hymn in the ordination liturgy as huh. well. So I was already a little... You didn't have any input on that? or I didn't. I was already okay. a little choked up at that point, and then when I heard that song, that was the end. So, yeah. <laughs> so again, it was just this beautiful little parallel to me, like a confirmation that this was where we should be. When, when did you start thinking about it, Lisa, as far as thinking about him being a deacon, or did you think about it before he had approached you, or vice versa? Fred is a natural teacher and uh-huh. preacher, so in some ways I could have seen him doing this years ago, uh-huh. you know, but obviously having several children and uh, I, I wasn't in any hurry for him to take on a commitment <laughs> have like that. Job. Right? Um, but then when he really started proposing it and asked me to really pray about it as well, which I appreciated because obviously even though he is the one ordained, the wife of a permanent deacon is intimately involved in that vocation as well mm-hmm. in many ways. And just had a strong sense as I started to pray about it that, yeah, I think this this is what the Lord was calling him to and therefore me to. Yeah. So, um, and again, like anything, you kind of discern along the way as the years go by and you feel like you kept getting confirmations of that as opposed to the opposite. So, What so. was the education process, preparation process mm-hmm. like for you, Lisa? Well, each month the men were had a formation program that involved Friday night and all day Saturday. And the wives were encouraged to attend as much as possible. Mm-hmm. It was held at Donaldson um, Retreat Center, so a lovely venue. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was this is one of the um, first Spanish-language permanent diaconate programs in the country. So yeah. in some ways, I mean, not some ways, Bishop Rose is a visionary in many ways with this regard. It also involved finding people from all over the country, if necessary, who spoke Spanish and had the expertise in a particular subject area to give these courses. Mm-hmm. So um, it was very enriching. The other wives, all of whom were native, obviously Spanish speakers, were very welcoming to me. Uh-huh. I'm like conversational in Spanish, but far from fluent. And they were very warm and welcoming to me, which I really appreciate. So I, to answer your question, I tried to attend as much as I could, uh-huh. but we still have a daughter at home and I could go every sure. month. But the times that I did go, and I'd say certainly you know, more than half of the, of the weekends I was able to participate in, it was really enriching for me. In our ministry together all these years, Fred and I are often on the presenting end, uh-huh. so it was nice to just be on the receiving end yeah. of hearing someone else give a presentation that we could really ponder and reflect on and, and benefit from. Yeah, so with the goals of your secretariat reaching out to adults in all different mm-hmm. forms and, and different ways of doing that, how does the Hispanic diaconate kind of uh, cross yeah. into that? And I imagine there's a little overlap in those two ministries that you're working on. Yeah, a little bit. So one of the things, I mean, most of the guys, well, I'm the only one that works for the diocese. Mm-hmm. All the others have their own secular jobs. Mm-hmm. So even from the beginning, the idea was we have our, our work, and then we have our diaconal ministry. Now, in my case, obviously, there is overlap. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that, for example, my diaconal ministry is primarily focused on St. Matthew's. So I will be directing RCIA at the parish level. And I'm also going to be helping with an outreach to Hispanics in that neighborhood because it's really grown quite a bit over the years. And so it's seeing what we can do to try to, to make the Hispanics already in that area feel comfortable coming to St. Matt's. So that's that's one part of the, of the puzzle. Then if you look at the, you know, the diocesan level, like I said, Hispanic ministry is, is part of the secretariat. So 
we try to do as much as we can to have our programs in English also be available in Spanish as well. Mm -hmm. And so we have actually a number of the people now on our staff are bilingual. And so they can do both things in English and in Spanish. And so we're really trying to make a, a concerted effort to make sure that you know, all the people in our diocese, whether English speaking or Spanish speaking, find a place, a home. And of course, there are others. They have some Burmese and they have some Vietnamese. Sure. But certainly by far, the two largest would be the English and Spanish speaking. Well, before we go to a break, do you have any message for any Spanish-speaking listeners? Sí, como que no, que alegría me da en poder hablar con ustedes hoy. Y como uh, me llamo Diácono Freddy en español, porque siento que es una manera de, de tener más, uh, hacer, estar más cerca a la gente. Entonces, uh, me da mucho gusto en poder servirte. Did I catch a Deacon Freddy in there? You did. <laughs> so, in Spanish, Fred or Federico really doesn't work as well. Okay. And so, it's a, it's a warmer term to say Freddy. And that's so, how he grew up with that name. Yeah. And yeah. so, I say in Spanish, I go by Diácono Freddy. And in English, I just go by good old Deacon Fred. So, <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, hey, coming up, we're going to have more conversation with Deacon Freddy. And if I may, and Lisa Everett. And we'll talk more about the ministry that's happening here in the diocese right here on Truth and Charity, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity. Bishop Rose is not with us today, so instead we're trying to get to know a little bit more about uh, some of the things going on in the diocese, and so we've invited Deacon Fred Everett and his wife, Lisa Everett, who work for the diocese, doing so much with evangelization. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier was missionary disciples. And so can you explain what a missionary disciple is and then maybe what it means to to form missionary disciples? Sure. Great question. Great question. And oftentimes when we hear the word missionary, we tend to think of someone who goes off to another country to do something very dramatic. And Pope Francis has really been trying to emphasize the idea that we're all called to be missionary disciples. And that doesn't mean going off to India or Africa or something like that. It just means that wherever we are, that we're we're conscious of, of what our calling is and that we're always there to, to reach out to others in a missionary way. Mission Missionary really comes from the word mission, which means to to go out to, to, to be sent. Okay. And and so really that's that's the point here is that we're we're sending people to go out in their neighborhoods to those who are on what Pope Francis called the peripheries, those who may literally be outside of the city, but also those who may be emotionally feel distant or those who don't feel welcomed or feel that they're criticized. And those are the often the things you hear from people why they don't want to come to the church because they feel that they're not welcomed or that they're overly criticized. And so how do we change our dynamic within the church so that we're a church that's more welcoming, that people feel that they're loved and welcomed? And so that's really the foundation is that feeling of, of being loved and welcomed. And I think Pope Francis is such a great ambassador of that because people do when they're around him feel that love that uh, welcome as far as our our work then as far as what we're trying to accomplish in in our secretariat the idea is this if you imagine somebody being on one end of this spectrum on one end of this what we call evangelization arc and at this one end someone maybe has very little interest in the faith mm-hmm. maybe even very little knowledge of the faith 
And then if we think of this art going up and then going to another end, and at that other end is someone who actually has a great knowledge of the faith, is on fire with the faith, and wants to share it to others. Yeah. And so our idea is this, is that that's, that's an arc. All of us are on one spot in that arc between either being completely uninterested and apathetic or being on fire in love with Jesus Christ. And so our idea is how do we help people move along that arc. And so that's that's the first question. What is it that we're doing? What's the on-ramp so that wherever stage you are, that you can plug right in and help being grow help to grow to the next level, let's say in your in your faith journey. Yeah. So that's how we're starting our, our conversation. So that for example, we were talking a little bit about the Alpha program. This is a program that's ecumenical that was actually developed in England by a an Anglican priest mm-hmm. over there who actually, interestingly enough, also a former attorney in uh, in England. So I guess not all of us attorneys are are, uh, <laughs> are bad guys, uh, but we actually, you know, maybe do be able to do some good in society. <laughs> but um, but his idea was he wanted to to help p- introduce people to the faith, people who might have no previous exposure or or have had very little interest in even learning about it. And so he created this program called Alpha, which is obviously the Greek letter A, mm-hmm. which means the beginning. And the idea being that anyone could come in with any level of formation and feel comfortable, feel accepted there, feel like they could say whatever they wanted, and yet be presented in a way that's very engaging, we believe beautiful, who just is this person, Jesus Christ? And how can being in a relationship with him make a huge difference in my own life? And so that we see that as being an important part of that of that first step, that first stage. And then as you go through it, for those who then are moved by it and want to grow in their faith, then it's helping them to to give them the next step and the next step and the next step. And so that's really what you know, when we're talking about strategy, that's really what we're looking at is how do we help enable people to keep growing in the faith and become excited about it. And really looking not just at Catholics. I mean, the whole idea of the Alpha is to go out, to do things perhaps in your own homes mm-hmm. and at your workplaces and not just think of it in terms of in your own parish, for example, but really think of it as a way to reach out to anyone and make them feel comfortable about learning more about Jesus Christ. So, that arc that you're talking about, yes. if we would start putting numbers on this arc, and so people that are completely disinterested or maybe anti-faith, Alien. right, if yeah. they would fall at the zero or one, yeah. and you're on fire, want to spread the faith, can't stop talking about God, whatever, if they're your tens, yes. if people were honest with themselves, those that are going to church that, are, that would say that they're Catholic... Where do you think they fall on that scale uh, as far as like an average maybe? Yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. I think when you, when you have, you know, there's been some studies done about this, about people who are going to church. Mm-hmm. At one level, you have those who say, for example, call themselves Catholic. You have what's known as the CEOs, Christmas, Easter, and other, uh-huh. you know, and they obviously come only a few times a year. You know, then you have those who are termed maybe the searchers. They might be coming twice a month to to mass, and so you'll see them, but not necessarily regularly. But it's not a big deal for them to right. miss a Sunday. Exactly, yeah. it's no big deal to miss a Sunday. They still want it, but they're sort of conflicted about it. Mm-hmm. Then you have those who there are two groups: those who go to mass regularly, and they do it because 
they like the connection uh-huh. and they like doing things with other people. They like projects, maybe service projects, things to just connect them with a community of people. You have another subset that go to church regularly and their main thing is they want to grow personally. But they're not necessarily interested as much with connecting to the community and other people. They just want to be there to be nourished spiritually mm-hmm. and, to, and to get something uh, to grow in their spiritual lives. And then from what, you know, you know, if you look at read Sherry O'Dell's books and other things that we've looked at, you have what those call the missionary disciples who are connected with community, want to grow more deep in the faith, who believe in this legacy that the, that the faith gives to the future generations and want to promote that, that's probably going to be like 5%. So the, the, those who are, I'd say, at, at the 10, at the 9 or the 10, I'd say probably, you know, probably no more than 5% of those going to the parishes. But you have, you know, all these others. And at Christmas time, as we all know, uh, and Easter time, you're going to see a lot of the people there at all those different levels, from CEOs yeah. to our missionary disciples. So as far as those that are active in coming to church, yeah. but do you think that we're maybe operating at around a, a six or a seven as far as like really tapping into our potential? Yeah, I think it's all, all over the place. That's, yeah. That was my yeah. point. It's really like you, you'll have some tents and, or nine or tens coming to your church, you know, obviously on a right. regular basis, but you'll also have a lot of sevens and sixes and, and then the, the CEO yeah. is more like at the three or two, yeah. you know. And so, yes, you're going to see that whole, I think, you know, spectrum. And, and I think what, what seems to be kind of decisive in some ways, and, and obviously we're all on a spiritual journey sure. from the moment we're conceived, right? Yeah, we probably um, never hit 10. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it seems like for, for many people, there, there comes maybe a decisive moment, whether they can kind of crystallize it in time or perhaps a series of moments where they, they really have experienced God's love for them, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a deep personal way. And that seems to be kind of a catalyst to responding to that love, you know, more intensely, more personally, and, and literally having kind of their heart catch fire, meaning I have experienced for myself that God loves me unconditionally. I want to grow in holiness in my love for Him. I want to spend time with Him in prayer. And this fills me with such a joy and peace that I can't help but want to share this with other people so that they may come to know this kind of love that I have experienced. So that's, I think, the kind of experience in, in a sense that the Alpha program, for example, is is hoping to help create, that kind of mediated by a human community that's warm and welcoming in which people can share what they're feeling and perhaps even the pain they have felt in a safe environment mm-hmm. allows them to experience God's love perhaps in a way that they've never experienced before and kind of can open their heart to hearing more about he loved us so much that he sent his son you know, to become one of us, to live with us, to live for us, and to give his life for us. Mm-hmm. And that kind of starts and kind of ignites that journey forward. You know, Lisa was talking about my homily for my first homily at uh, Corpus Christi. Yeah. And I used the story that I actually had been talking to my daughter about who was visiting that week that I hadn't even planned to use. And then I thought, you know what, that, that could work to try to express what I was trying to convey. And the story went like this. When I, I took my, we were on a, 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 a camping trip in a state park, and uh, we went on this one hike with our kids. And when we were about two miles into it, it's time to turn around and come back. And our five-year-old daughter, oldest one at the time, said uh, to me, he says, Dad, I'm too tired. Can you pick me up? You know, uh-huh. carry me. So, sure, I did. <laughs> so, I started carrying her for a while. And after a while, I finally said, okay, honey, you're getting a bit heavy. So, I think I'm going to have to put you down for a little bit now. 
And she says to me, no, dad, you can still do it. Yeah. And then, but this is what she did. She started smothering me with these kisses on my uh-huh. face. And believe it or not, it worked. I sort of felt more <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I guess maybe I can't do it a little longer. Uh-huh. And every time after, you know, walking for who knows how long, I'd start saying, honey, I think I'm going to get She'd just start, you know. So I'd say, okay, honey, I need more energy kisses. And <laughs> literally, it got me the two miles. So I was able to carry her, you know, back. And I thought to myself, you know, that's the thing that when we build up a really intimate relationship with God, he wants to give us those types of energy kisses uh-huh. and things that would otherwise be drudgery or hard or I'm just tired. I don't want to do this anymore. If we allow him to get close enough to us and he gives us those kisses, it gives us then the desire to be able to do more. And it's actually not even that hard or becomes at least less difficult to do. And I think that's part of the the trick is a lot of times, you know, we're talking about people who maybe aren't participating as much or aren't as fire as much. Part of that issue is have the experience God's love and intimacy in a way that gives them that energy. Because if they haven't, then for them, a lot of times the, the faith looks like just a whole bunch of requirements. I got to do this or I can't do that. And, and it's hard. But once I get into that deeper relationship with Christ and I really feel his love as, as an abiding presence, then suddenly I can do things that I otherwise would have thought, oh, I just can't do that. That's too hard. And I think that's part of what our mission is, is to try to create these environments, try to create these opportunities for people to experience God's love like that and to help them grow step by step in their spiritual life. Because unless we build up a, a regular life of prayer, we'll never really be able to experience God's love for us in that way. Well, I want to hear more about how the Alpha program might help with some of that and how that's going to be fitting in here in the diocese. Uh, So we'll talk about that coming up. But we're not going to do question and answer during this episode. But if you have future questions for Bishop to answer, maybe about evangelization, maybe about being a missionary disciple, you can ask those by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we've got more with the Everett's. Coming up here on Truth and Charity, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity. Bishop Rhodes is not with us today, so instead we're trying to get to know a little bit more about some of the things going on in the diocese. And so we've invited Deacon Fred Everett and his wife, Lisa, both talking about evangelization and a lot of good work that's happening in the diocese. One of the things that you talked about was the Alpha program. You talked about how this is you know, helping us be formed in the Christian faith. And can you explain exactly how that works and and what it looks like when the Alpha program would come into a parish? Right. So the Alpha program is really based around a small group model. It can be done in a larger group, but then you would break them down into small groups. Okay. And the way they've developed it, the program now is they have this wonderful film series that you basically, you invite people in for a meal, and it all starts in the context of a meal, or at the very least, if it's in another, maybe at a, a, a workplace or something, you might bring in for a snack or something. But, but food and fellowship mm-hmm. is a really crucial component of this, because what they really try to encourage is the sense of radical hospitality, that people, when they come in, you know, they learn your name, they, you know, they want to know who you are, they want to learn more about you, they want you to know that you can say anything, that once you, like for example, they have a, a talk about who is Jesus, 
And if somebody wants to say, oh, I don't think Jesus ever even existed. I think he's just made up. Instead of saying like, whoa, you'd say, oh, really? Okay. Um, that's an interesting perspective. Does anybody else have another perspective? You yeah. Know? Or, mm-hmm. you know, the idea is that you can say anything. And when people feel like you can say anything, you can express any point of view and people are not going to reject you, then you've already established a certain sense of feeling, okay, I can fit in here because I'm not going to be judged for anything I say or anything I think. So that's really the, that's the, that's the foundation. You have the video then that actually then talks about who is Jesus. Why do we know what we know about Jesus? What is the historical validity of the Bible? Say, especially when you compare it to other ancient texts, how many copies we have of it, how, you know, very small time there was between the writing of these and the actual events themselves. All these things they sort of show, look, we can pretty much be, you know, confident in in the historical record of who mm-hmm. Jesus Christ was and what his message was for these reasons. And then it builds into, you know, what is faith all about? How do we grow in reading the Bible? How do we grow in praying? These are just the very foundational building blocks. And so that's the first part of it. And it's all in this context of you start off with a meal, you move on to a half hour video, and then you have an opportunity for 45 minutes to an hour discussion in which everyone can say whatever it is they think. And you repeat it. After those six, what we're going to have then is what they call the day away, where it's more of an intensive, more retreat like experience where it's really focused on the Holy Spirit and asking for the Holy Spirit to really come upon all the people present. And it's amazing. I've talked to some of the people that have been through this program. In fact, there's this one fellow who'd been through as a leader several times, hmm. but had never had this really deep encounter with the Holy Spirit until the fifth time <laughs> that he went through it. And this is the way he, he, he explained it to me. He said, the first, you know, the, I used to think, oh, that's for people who's whose faith is weak, they, they need an extra something. But when he went through it the fifth time and he actually had someone praying over him and all of a sudden he just felt something change inside of him. And all of a sudden he said, he was bawling. You know, this is an ex-military guy. He's bawling. And next thing you know, he says, I'm giggling. <laughs> and all huh. of a sudden I felt God's love for me. And he was saying things to these people who were praying over him in a way that I knew God was really my father. He really loved me. He really knew me. And he was really answering my prayers. And he said, that's, that's made a big, huge difference in my life. That's, those are the types of things, those energy kisses that we were talking about before yeah. that we're trying to shoot for. And, and so after you do your day away, then there's usually, let's say, four more sessions after that. So about a 10-week span altogether. But Alpha really is just the beginning. It's that first step. It's that first ability for someone to say, oh, okay, maybe there's more to Christianity than what I thought. You know, What we're trying to do then is try to create then helping people move on to the next step. And one of those things will be the whole idea of mentoring. Mm-hmm. providing mentors to help people. What does it mean to grow in my spiritual life? How can I do that? And providing mentors to do that. I think one, too, uh, a beautiful kind of image that we have right from Scripture is the relationship between Christ and His church is, is seen as a marriage, right? Christ mm-hmm. is the bridegroom of the church. And what seems to me is the beauty of a program or even a model like Alpha is that that some of us in our own personal spiritual journeys maybe get to know Christ, kind of the bridegroom, a little better than we know the church, right? Mm. And other people, just the way they've been raised or their own personal journey, they, they get to know the church perhaps more intimately or more thoroughly than they do Christ himself, mm-hmm. you know? But since Christ and his church are one flesh, you know, 
bride and bridegroom, I mean, they belong together. And it's kind of like when you go to a wedding, you decide whether you're sitting on the bride's side or the groom's side, right? Yeah. Which one do you know better? Whereas the Alpha program and what we're trying to do as a follow-up to that is to bring them together. That um, maybe some of our Christian brothers and sisters really do know Christ personally in a way that some Catholics don't. And maybe there are those of us who have been Catholic from birth who know the church intimately and love the church, but we really got to know, need to get to know Jesus on a more personal level. So it's Jesus and his church who are as close as a bride and groom should be um, and helping the people in our diocese come to know both the bride and the bridegroom. Yeah, Yeah, because no matter how much I know some guy, that doesn't mean I understand anything about his wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never mm-hmm. gotten to know her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we, yeah, know, even though that one flesh, I like that image, mm-hmm. we still need to, to know both and appreciate mm-hmm. both. That's right. good. All right. So what does that look like then for Alpha coming into the parishes? Is this something that I, I think my understanding is this is going to be a diocesan-wide kind yeah. of effort? Right. So because it's a program that has an ecumenical thrust to it let's put it that way even though it's ecumenical though I have to say it also has some Catholic theologians on there like uh, Father Cantalamesa who's the papal preacher for the papal household uh-huh. uh, so they're Catholics and they tell the stories of Maximilian Kolbe and all these so it's really interesting how they really try to make it ecumenical from the point of view of including Catholics instead of you know excluding mm-hmm. Catholics but the important point is, is 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 really how do we unfold this and so right now starting this coming fall we're going to start be having these alphas on a smaller basis and and creating this model that you know we want to get down first until we start to invite parishes okay. to buy into it because one of the things is we want to make sure that if we're saying to a parish here, we want to help you, we want to make sure we've got the whole, you know, uh, because doing the alpha by itself is actually not that hard. The hard part is how do you help people continue to grow sure. after that? What's the structure? What is the, the way in which people can continue to, to live out their faith? And so that's what we're working on. And I have to say on that note, uh, we're working with uh, the Institute at Notre Dame, the Institute for, for Church Life, for example, and trying to see how we can continue to build and to have every step of that arc of evangelism covered so that mm. no matter where you come in there's a next step for you so that's right where we are right now is trying to to make sure that we get down the model just right and then start to expand it into the parishes well good there are so many other ministries that you guys are involved with <laughs> and put on maybe maybe this last session we can kind of do a speed round and yeah, sure. <laughs> try to give an overview of all the different things that are happening in the diocese. So coming up, we'll, we'll try to talk about other things that are happening within the Office of Evangelization for the diocese here with Deacon Fred Everett and his wife, Lisa. And uh, also, if you have any questions for Bishop for a future episode, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have more with the Everett's here on Truth and Charity, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity. Bishop Rhodes is not in the country right now, so we're (laughs) being joined by Deacon Fred Everett and his wife, Lisa, who 
we've been talking about evangelization and being a missionary disciple, the Alpha program, so many great things. There's That's really just such a small fraction of what you're doing for the diocese. So maybe we can just cover some of those other things that are happening in the diocese under the the Office of Evangelization within Family and Pro-Life and all of that. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> well, one of the things that I am working on now um, is trying to move forward and pilot a new model of marriage preparation. Um, for decades now, we've been um, doing day-long conferences for engaged mm-hmm. couples, in which Fred and I and others are among the presenters, and it, it has its advantages, um, especially for couples who don't live maybe in the same location to have it done in one day, but it's not an ideal model. And there's been some really exciting research out of the Diocese of um, Lafayette in Louisiana, which found that a different model of marriage preparation which focused on mentor couples um, is actually more effective, but not mentor couples in the way that we've also done in this diocese in the past. But the, the kind of key difference is that an engaged couple is asked to choose for themselves a mentor couple. Mm-hmm. A married couple whose marriage they admire, and we, we set some kind of minimum criteria. This couple should be married at least five years, should be going to church regularly, etc. But the mm-hmm. point is that you're engaging the freedom of the engaged couple to choose someone whose marriage they already admire. And sure. again, focusing on this idea of radical hospitality that we're, we're doing at the broader secretariat level with the alpha model, the mentor couple then will invite that engaged couple into their home for three sessions using materials we've prepared at the diocesan level and really trying to form um, a relationship with that engaged couple. But before they even get to kind of the formal program, they one of the first things they do is that the men, the engaged couple man and the married man, plan a surprise double date for both couples. Again, uh-huh. just kind of realizing that grace builds on nature and that if there's already kind of a, a natural relationship or at least a natural kind of mutual admiration between these two couples, we want to foster that and build that before they even begin the formal program. And then the hope is that... Um, through this two-by-two two process, and of course we're calling it two-by-two two, with the idea of, of the two married people accompanying, literally, um, the two engaged people along uh-huh. this journey toward their wedding day, they will build a relationship that will last far beyond the wedding day and that that married couple then who has been mentoring this newly married couple all these months prior to their wedding, that will be like a ready resource for them when the inevitable difficulties arise in married life, especially in the first few years. They will have that relationship already built of trust and and intimacy so that they can go to them for advice and support. Um, And hopefully, ideally, again, that married couple who's mentoring them is a member of their own parish who they will see regularly and and be able to be in contact with regularly as well. And the, the program also features, in addition to the kind of in-home sessions with the mentor couple, a retreat that is a joint effort between the diocese and the parish in which the more sensitive issues related to the Christian vision of marriage and family life are covered that the mentor couple might not be formed well enough in to be able to present. So, for example, theology, the body, and the church's teaching on sexuality and responsible parenthood, natural family planning, um, what it looks like to build a spiritual life together as a couple, the sacramentality of marriage, and how having Christ as that third member of your marriage makes all the difference. So, that kind of day-long retreat, which comes toward the end of the two-by-two program, is an opportunity for 
the engaged couple to, to have that retreat experience that we also build into it uh, a holy hour. Again, it might be the first time someone's been able to pray in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament and really kind of share with the Lord in that context what's on their mind and heart and the availability of confession and talks by witness couples who are really trying to intentionally live their faith as missionary disciples within the vocation of marriage, being mm-hmm. able to share some of those testimonies with the engaged couples on the retreat. And then the married couples, the mentor couples, are strongly encouraged to attend along with them as well. So again, it's another way for, for everyone involved in the process to receive more spiritual and moral formation. Yeah. So so anyway, that's I've been busy trying to pilot that. We, pilot, we are piloting it currently with a few parishes on each side of the diocese. Again, trying to, to iron out the wrinkles, to, uh-huh. to solicit feedback, what we can do better to be more engaging and, and relevant as we move forward before wanting to kind of export it, so to speak, throughout the whole diocese. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank uh, you. Deacon, would you mind saying like a little closing prayer or blessing in Spanish for us? Sure. I would be happy to. En el nombre del Padre, y del Hijo, y del Espíritu Santo. Amén. Dios Padre, estamos aquí, sus hijos, pidiéndote su ayuda y su bendición por toda nuestra vida y por nuestros esfuerzos en tratar de promover la, el Evangelio de tu Hijo. Esperamos que por la intercesión de nuestra Madre, la Virgen María, que podemos hacer todavía mejor en nuestras vidas, su plan para nosotros y para todo el mundo. Y lo pedimos por nuestro Señor Jesucristo, tu Hijo. Amén. Amén. En nombre del Padre, del Hijo, del Espíritu Santo. Amén. Amén. All right. Well, thank you so much, Deacon Fred and Lisa Everett. Appreciate you joining me today. It's been great. Thank you. Join us next week for another new episode with the return of Bishop Rhodes. Truth and Charity is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.